0: I appreciate people trying to make things easier. I do. These guys trying to put the Bible in a minute. I like that. Because here's what I think happens many times. Is that people just end up making things harder than it needs to be. You see, God has this way of saying things in a very simple way. And then we have a tendency to make things very complicated. I mean, think about like the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is 67 words. The Ten Commandments are 179 words. And and, and contrast that to the latest... um, uh, the latest government regulations on the sale of cabbage, 26,911 words about cabbage. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Four Dummies books have become so popular. And I was actually on their website this week. And you can go to a bookstore and there's shelves and shelves of all of these Four Dummies books. And uh, a couple of them caught my eye because, I, I don't know, they just I thought they were a little bit odd. I saw this one in particular, um, the Acoustic Guitar Starter Pack. For dummies. Now, the part that I thought was weird was that it includes a guitar, like as if this is the four dummies guitar and the other guitars. Those are way too hard. Here. This is the four dummies guitar, because apparently that makes it easier. Um, Then there's there's this other one. I thought this was interesting. Anatomy and physiology for dummies. And then I which was fine, but I just had this thought in my mind, like if I go to my doctor and he has that book on his shelf, I thought like that might frighten me a little bit. And then I saw this one, which was a little odd chemistry for dummies. Like, listen, if you're a person who picks up that book and you're willing to, like, allow yourself the classification of dummies, can I just say this? Step away from the chemicals like that's the last place you need to be is mixing chemicals. Um, And, 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 you know, and then, of course, there's the last one, uh, which is the Bible for dummies. The weird part of this one is it's like a three, four hundred page book. Like, if you're going to if you're going to read a book that big, you may as well just read the Bible. Uh, It's going to take you just about as long. And, and the thing is this, is that uh, that's three or four hundred pages. The Bible gives us the grand story of the Bible in 17 verses. That's why I say it's God makes it simple and we tend to make it complicated. So we take, well, let's simplify the Bible at 300 pages. God will simplify it and give it to us in 17 verses. And he tells us not just what the book of Revelation is about, but what's the story that God is telling You see, all of the Bible is leading us to a story that God has been telling on the pages of eternity using humanity as his pen and ink to relay to us and speak to us about this story. And here's the reason why I think this is so important for us to know is because there are people who are interested, who don't know God, but yet are interested in what the story is that God is telling, because too many people are out trying to create their own story. And so they're, they're living lives that are unfulfilled. They're living lives without purpose, without meaning. And the reason is, is because their lives aren't connected to the story that God has been telling. And the issue that's so important is, and this is important for us as well, the more that we connect our lives to the story that God has been telling, the more that we find meaning and purpose and fulfillment. And that's why when you encounter someone, or someone I should say encounters you, and they don't know God and you do, they experience, and you may have heard someone say this, that there's just something a little bit different about you. And the reason is, is because what you do in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you're not just talking about your story. Your life is reflecting a different story. It's reflecting God's story. And as you reflect God's story, that's the thing that attracts other people to this God that you worship. In fact, in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it's in your notes that we gave you, and if you take those out, he says, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. So as we go through Revelation chapter 12, which I hope you'd open to at this time, I want you to re- remember this, that we're not just talking about God's story, although it is God's story, but it's also your story in mind. And a story that we need to be connected to because God's story is paralleling what should be happening in your life and in mine. So let's start chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and and on her head a garland of twelve stars. And then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and drew them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to His throne. And then... The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that she should, they should feed her there 1,260 days. And if you pause there and give me your attention, I want to give you these three things that tell us what the Bible is about, what our lives are about. The first is this, that the Bible is about redemption. It's about redemption. The Bible tells us that a great sign appeared in heaven, which gives us this It's kind of like the turn signal. It tells us that there is something figurative that's being spoken. So it's not a literal dragon that we're dealing with. I mean, you know, there's no knights of the round table that are going to be in this. But this this dragon, this woman, this child, it's all symbolic language that's pointing to something. And so he's going to give us all of these little clues. And if, if we kind of put on our thinking caps, so to speak, for a moment, we can find what the clues are and know exactly what it is. That that he that John is describing now, the reason why this is so important is because the reason that I love pictures so much is because pictures can transcend culture. You see, there are words that if I said the words and you didn't know what they meant, well, then that you could get a totally different meaning. But instead, if I give you some more, a a picture, then we can translate the picture into any culture because the picture is just the picture. So, like, let's say you're driving down the street, right? And then you're driving down and you see this sign on the road, right? This is a sign. Zombies ahead. Now, you don't speak English and you're like, what in the world does that mean? Little do you know, the undead are right down the street. Um, or like this next one, same thing. Speed limit 20 kph. Warthogs and children have the right of way. Little do you know, I mean, you may not give a warthog the right of way and that would be a problem. But if you saw this picture. Beware, or your car will be eaten by a cow. See that? That's what'll happen to you if you, you see. But the picture says something. Or this picture, uh, right here, which I like, and that is: Do not give a kangaroo a snow cone, or he will eat your arm. See? That's just see, that's just such so, an easy picture for us to understand. Or of course, there's this one, uh, which is caution moose on highway, and then he gives us a picture of a moose so that we're not really sure. Well, what does moose mean? That's what it means. And then we have this guy. Do not open your umbrella here. Or there will be. could mean men at work, or it could mean there's a problem if you open your umbrella right there. So, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really important. Is that this picture is all trying to speak something to us. And we're going to kind of break down some of this figurative language. And if, if you're a person that really likes... Like studying the Bible, kind of getting like those insider facts and like, ooh, I never saw that before. And like, you like a little Bible Kung Fu. This is going to be a great message for you. If you're like, I don't really like the Bible Kung Fu. I just like the real like, how does it apply to me stuff? You know, I mean, uh, I'll wake you up in about 15 minutes when we get there. But we're going to do a little Kung Fu here in just a minute. Um, but here's the thing that's important. As I said, the Bible is about Redemption. Redem- what does the word redemption mean? You probably want to write this down. Redemption is buying back something that, ha- that, ha- that belongs to you that was in possession of someone else. It's buying back something that had been in, th- in the possession of someone else. Let me explain it this way. When I was a kid, uh, about 11, 12 years old, um, I understood this principle because I was 11 or 12 and I couldn't get a job because I was too young. And at the same time, I needed money to survive because... You know, candy bars aren't going to buy themselves. And so, you know, and rock albums aren't going to buy themselves. And so uh, I tried to figure out what I was going to do. I talked to my parents about an allowance. And I said the word allowance, they thought it was hilarious. And I said, I'm not joking. And they said, oh, yes, you are. And, uh, and I said, well, I, I, need, I need some currency. You know, I need legal tender if I'm going to survive. And they said, well, here's what you can do. And so they introduced me to the, uh, the time-honored tradition of collecting bottles. Uh, I don't know if they were preparing me to be homeless or what, but uh, they said, well, here's what you do. Here, you take a trash bag, we'll put it down in the basement, and every time you see a can of soda, a bottle, a glass, you know, a glass bottle, you take it and you put it into this trash, uh, this trash bag. And then once you fill a couple of them up, we're going to go down the street, and this is in Brockton, Massachusetts, where I spent a lot of time growing up, and we're going to go to this area called the Redemption Center. Now, the Redemption Center was a cool place because you'd go in and there was like thousands upon thousands of bottles. And, and what you would do is you would separate the plastic bottles from the glass, uh, the, the glass bottles and then the uh, aluminum cans. You'd separate all three. And then, you know, like now it doesn't mean anything. But if you look on cans or whatever, and it says like, you know, five cent deposit or, you know, ten cent deposit. And, and it's like none of that matters in Florida. But in, in Massachusetts, you'll see that it says like, you know, M.A. from Massachusetts. Well, that's still going. That's like how I got my start. Uh, it was right there. I mean, you know, so anyway, so what I would do is I would collect all of these and then I'd go to this redemption center. And so you'd get like five cents for a uh, aluminum can. You'd get 10 cents for a glass bottle, 10 cents for a two liter, uh, a two liter plastic bottle. And so I'd walk, I'd bring two giant, giant um, bags and I'd walk out with like 10 bucks, which man, when you're like 10 years old and it's like 1983, let me tell you something. You feel like Donald Trump. I mean, you're feeling good. I got ten bucks. You know, do you have any idea how many baseball cards I can buy? Like now, it's like you buy like one pack of baseball cards with ten bucks. I mean, back then, you could buy like six packs of baseball cards for a dollar. And so, you know, that's back in the day when you had to walk uphill to school both ways. Anyway, um, so, but here's the thing that's important. The Redemption Center, they worked for the, the, the bottling companies. The bottling companies were selling the, 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 the liquid that's inside. But they wanted the can back, because then they would recycle it and do the whole process over again. So what they would do is, they were redeeming the cans. So it's not like um, you were you you know, you were giving it back to them. You were giving it back to them, and they were paying you so that you could get it back. That's how they were redeeming it. The same thing happens when you have a coupon to go somewhere. You have a coupon for something. You know, let's say uh, my wife and I were at Publix last night, and so let's say you have a coupon for... Um, Napkins. You have a coupon for napkins. And so it's a dollar off. Now, the coupon belongs to the company. They are giving it to you. But then what they are saying is, I want it back. And when you give it back to us, we will give you a dollar off of your napkins. And so this is how the redemption process works. Now, here's the thing that's very, very important is that we have to have an understanding of what redemption is, because we will never understand the purpose of Jesus's coming, Jesus's ministry, his mission and his death and resurrection without having an understanding of redemption. Redemption is is that we were sold into sin. We gave ourselves up. That's what Adam did when he when he blew it in the garden. He sold himself into sin. Jesus came into the world to redeem us, to buy us back. From the cost and the wages of sin, which the Bible says is death. And so that's why in in, in Ephesians 1, you'll see this in your notes, it says, In whom, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we have this picture that John is painting. And the picture is this. It's of this woman. That is a garland of 12 stars and she's got all this thing. She's ready to give birth. So the question obviously is, we're going to answer a couple of questions. Who is the woman? Who's the child that's giving, that's giving, that she's giving birth to? Who is this dragon deal? What's that all about? Who's got seven heads and ten horns? Because that just looks a little odd. Because um, if I saw anything with seven heads and ten horns... And and then, you know, I would just be running in the other direction. Um, So what's that all about? So let's let's take this one at a time. So who's the woman? Well, one of the things that I told you, if you've been with us through our study of Revelation, one of the claims, if you want to call it that, that I made was that the book of Revelation is nothing new. Instead, what I said was, is that everything in Revelation had already been revealed elsewhere in the Bible. In fact, it had already been revealed to the prophets in the Old Testament. But here's what the prophets in the Old Testament did not get. They never got a panoramic of how it was going to go down. Instead, the prophets would get this vision of what was going to happen. They'd jot it down and it was true. But what they never understood was, well, the other prophet said this. And how do those two things work together? Because one was describing one thing, the other was describing another. And what happens is that John comes along and he's not given this brand new revelation of stuff that nobody had ever heard of. Instead, he was given a revelation of everything that the Old Testament already said. Instead, but he was given, it was given to him in this chronology of how it's going to go down. So... And that's why I said the key to really understanding the Book of Revelation, which is not a difficult book to understand, but the key to understanding it is to have a working knowledge of the Old Testament, and that's one of the things that we've been talking about. So once again, the question is, we still haven't answered it. Who is this woman? Well, I believe this woman to be Israel. And for several reasons and all of the, the nuances of what she's wearing and what she's she's giving birth to, but I'm gonna give you one reason in particular. Uh, is because of this garland of 12 stars that she has around uh, around her head. Why is that important? Because this idea of the garland of 12 stars only appears one time in the Bible outside of Revelation. It actually appears all the way back in the book of Genesis. And let me read it to you. In Genesis 37, Joseph, it says that he had another dream. And it was told to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, understand this, this is very important. Jacob, his father, he hears the dream and he already knows what it means. He says, "If in this, sto- in this story, I'm the son of... My wife here, or the, the, the wives that I have, they are the moon. And there's 12 stars, one being Joseph and the other 11 bowing down to him. Only time that it appears, which leads us to understand that this woman is Israel. Now, the other thing that's very important is not only is this woman Israel, but she's pregnant. Now, why is that important? It's pregnant because she's about to give birth to, to someone, to this male child. And Who is this male child? This male child is the Messiah who is to be born. Now, this is very important because... Um, in Israel, prior uh, th- th- there is this messianic expectation is what they would call it. And what I mean by that is is that whenever a child was born, he was a child that had messianic potential. So when David hears that, his, uh, that God is going to bring the Messiah through his family and Solomon is born, they believe that Solomon had messianic potential, that other of his sons had messianic potential. And so... But the idea the thing was, and then they kind of mess up or blow it, and they say, Well, we thought it was him, but it's not, so we'll look for somebody else uh, that, that that could be the Messiah. But see, the thing is this is that we know that it's the Messiah that's going to be born simply because of this one fact. He says that this child is going to rule with a rod of iron. Now that is intentional language that's pulled out of Psalm two. Now let me read you Psalm two, a couple of verses. It says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now, the other thing that we have, too, is that it says that the dragon is about to devour this child as soon as it's born. Well, we recognize what happened in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. You may want to jot that down. That's when, if you never read it, that's where it is. You may have seen the movie. But that's where Herod tries to kill Jesus. And, he try, and he, so he tries to wipe out all the babies in Bethlehem for the purpose of the Messiah not growing up and being the king of the Jews. So now we've got the woman. We know who that is. We've got the child and who that is. But what's up with the dragon? What's that all about? The, Bi- the Bible tells us in verse 9 who the dragon is. It says this in verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. Now, there's the seven heads and ten horns, and I'm going to actually punt that because we're going to cover that in depth in chapter 17 in just a couple of weeks. So don't feel like, oh, man, he sold us out. Be back in a couple of weeks and we'll we'll talk about it. And I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about that in particular. So instead of talking about it now and then, I'll just talk about it then. But the thing is, this is so important is that this is the story of the Bible. It's a story of redemption, but it's also your story and mine. And when so people come up to us and they talk to us about why our lives are different, here's the reason. It's because we've been redeemed. It's because we've been bought back. The Bible tells us this, you've been bought with a price. It's that Jesus died for you. He saved you. And by dying for you, He gave you a new life. And the question that comes up is this, that if we have been redeemed, are we living like we've been redeemed? Or instead, are we living like... The unredeemed. And, and here's the question that comes up many times. And here's why I say that is because the, the question that people ask me is, how do I know if I'm really growing? How do, how do I know if, if I'm growing or not? Well, let me give you a, 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 a quick understanding of that. Here's how I know that my daughter, uh, who's almost two and a half, is growing. It's simply by measuring. We have this door frame. Maybe you have it in your home. We, we, take the pen, we have her stand up in the door frame. We take the pencil mark and we write her name and the date. And then a couple months later, we have her stand at the door frame, we put a pencil mark there in the date, and we can measure how much she's growing. Well, I'm going to give you a passage of scripture. And as you look at this passage of scripture, it's going to, you're going to basically see, am I growing or am I shrinking? Am I growing in this area or am I shrinking in that area? And am I growing in this area that God wants me to grow? It's in Galatians 5. and Many of you might, might be familiar with it, but let me read it to you. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. So you want to know if you're growing. You want to know if I've been redeemed, am I really growing in my redemption? Here's what you do. You say you basically put yourself up to the doorframe and you measure. Am I gro- Which of these two lists am I growing in? You see, am I growing in the list of, am I more jealous, angry, selfish, and full of lust? Then maybe I'm not. If I'm becoming more like that, then listen, I'm not growing in faith. But instead, if I'm growing in love, in peace, in patience, and in self-control, and the others that are on that list, then here's what I can, here's what I can, what I can be assured of, is that the Spirit of God is at work in my life. Because the Bible at its foundation is, is, is about Redemption. But it's not just about redemption, number one. Number two, it's about relationship. Here's what I mean. Uh, just in verse 7 is where the story continues. It says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was their place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who, perce- who deceives the whole world, was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. and They did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. If you pause there and give me your attention. I said the Bible is about redemption, but it's also about relationship. It's about relationship. Now, let me kind of, I know it's an odd story, and I've never told it, but uh, I've only been kicked out of one concert in my life. Um, I was actually ejected from the Miami Arena in 1992 at a Metallica concert. Uh, it was just before. I right, relax. That was just before I became a Christian, and uh, I got kicked out, and I was—they—they uh, they threw me out for destruction of property and for starting a small riot. I mean, um, I think that was a little overstated, but anyway, it was—that uh, was—that was the reason I was being kicked out was for starting a riot and for destruction of property. Which do I look like the riot type? I don't know, but—but um, but here's the thing that was interesting is that the guys, that, like the big security guys that were, like, escorting me out of the building, um, like, I used to have, do you understand, I used to be in this band, and it's fairly popular here in South Florida, and um, I used to have a mohawk. Now I have the reverse, but I used to have a mohawk. And um, and I, and but that day, at the concert, I was wearing a ball cap. So I had this ball cap, so you couldn't tell that I had this, this mohawk. And so here's what happens, is that they, after my little riot uh, that I apparently had started, they, um, they, they, they escorted me out, and they told me why I was being e- ejected. Well, right after I leave, and you know there's no admittance once you leave, um, they find out who I was. Don't you know that's Bob from this band? Like, these guys are, like, heartbroken that they've actually thrown me out of, 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 of the Miami Arena. Well, anyway, um, I see these guys at our next show because these guys were, like, huge fans of my band. Well, they come to see our band next time, and they're like, Bob, I'm so sorry. If I knew that it was you, I never would have thrown you out. I would have let the riot continue. I mean, you know, it's no big deal. And um, you know, and and I'm like, yeah, man, listen, don't worry about it. Uh, it's it's fine. But it taught me a lesson, and the lesson was not don't destroy property. It's that relationships matter, uh, and and that it's who you know, and and the, that's the thing that was very important. And I'll tell you why, because this whole idea of uh, of relationship, and this is the thing, is that the Bible says that this war breaks out in heaven. And that somebody gets kicked out. And the reason that this person gets kicked out is because there's no longer a relationship. And this is the thing that, that happens. Um, there once was this, this angel by the name of Lucifer. Lucifer means light bearer, bearer of light. And, so, and he's this angel of God, ministers before the throne of God. But here's the problem. Lucifer decides that, you know, instead of God being God, what if I were God? Things would be a lot better. And this pride begins to fill in his heart to think that, you know what, I should be God and not God. And he eventually is kicked out of heaven and he takes and as the passage teaches us, he takes a third of the angels with him and they get cast down to the earth. Now, if you ever wonder, like, hey, where did like demons come from? Uh, These demons are simply angels that fell, that that went with uh, Lucifer during his rebellion. But he decided that he didn't want this relationship with God. He gets cast down to the earth. And now his goal is to hinder people from entering into a relationship with God. And I want to read you the passage that tells us some of this. It's Isaiah 14. There's another passage in Ezekiel 28 that you can read. But I want to read you the Isaiah 14 passage. It says this. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. This is how you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit in the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. But you that's his speech. Here's what God says. It you shall be brought down to Sheol, hell, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man? who made the nations, made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms and made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities and did not open the house of his prisoners. Now, if you pause there for a moment, here's, here's the thing that's, that's so important. I don't know if you caught that. That it's like someday when it's all said and done and the judgment of God comes and Jesus comes back and all that and God's separating things and creating a new heaven and a new earth and setting up his kingdom. Here's what's going to happen is that those of us there. We're going to actually see him. This guy, the devil, that's been messing with us and haranguing us and all of that, all, all of these years for all of this time. And here's the deal is that we're going to see him. And we all have this picture in our mind of what Satan looks like, right? He's kind of thin. He's got like a goatee. He's, he wears red spandex. Uh, he carries around a pitchfork. He's got horns, you know, because it's like, you know, because all, all these people dress up for him as Halloween, right? And during Halloween. And so that, that must be what he looks like. Now, I want to say, and then he like has an office in hell. That's like where he does his business. Now, listen, here, here's the thing that, that, you, that you need to know is that according to the Bible, he's never actually even been to hell. Is he actually get it, he's going to be sent there uh, after the whole thing is said and done. He doesn't wear red spandex. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't even think he wears spandex at all. Um, but even though I think spandex could be demonic, uh, but that's another that's another sermon altogether. Um, yeah, and if you disagree Watch, like, VH1 Classic, and when you see the spandex blowing, you're like, that can't be of God. Uh, anyway, we'll just, we'll we'll move on. But here's the thing that happens, is that we have all of that, and, and then we think, like, that, that, that's really what Satan looks like. But the Bible says that we're going to be shocked, because we think that he's, like, big and tough and muscular and strong. And then we're, the Bible says we're going to see him, and we're going to think, have this picture of big, tough, and strong. And then he's going to show up, and we'll be like, Danny DeVito, what's up with that? I think that's not what he's supposed to look like. You know, and that's the thing that's going to happen. Listen, here's the deal, is that Satan is aware that God's desire and plan is to restore a relationship, that that's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is about God restoring humanity to a relationship with God. It's why Jesus died, because mankind's relationship with God was severed when Adam sinned in the garden and because God loved us so much, he couldn't leave us in that condition. And so even though Adam and Eve messed everything up in the garden, Jesus came to restore that relationship, to redeem humanity, and to bring us back into a relationship with him. And that is why the devil is so hell-bent on keeping us to coming to, from knowing Jesus. And if we do know Jesus, he certainly doesn't want us to do anything that would make us effective for Jesus and for his kingdom. But then the Bible talks in verse 12 about these people that overcome him that overcome Satan, that overcome evil, that overcome temptation. And how did they do that? And John notes three things that they do that I believe are important for us to note. It says, number one, that they, they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. And if you're taking notes, they overcome him, we can put it this way, by remembering my Savior. By remembering my Savior. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's, here's what the Bible says in First Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, one of the things that Satan loves to do is remind people of their past remind people of their faults, remind people of how they've messed up, remind people of how they've let people down, and then, and then say, you see, you've let all these people down in the past. You made promises you didn't keep. You said you were going to do things. Remember all those New Year's resolutions? What's up with that? And he, he does this whole little thing with you, and then he says, now you're going to do that, now you say you're going to follow Jesus? Why don't you just not even bother? Because you're going to let yourself down. You're going to let God down. You're going to let everybody else down. So why don't you just keep doing things the way you've been doing and he begins to kind of fill people's minds with this stuff. And then they think, like, yeah, why am I going to do that? And here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says these people, these, these believers that overcome Satan and evil and, and temptation and the enemy, here's what they do. They overcome him through remembering their Savior, through the blood of the Lamb. The fact that we're a forgiven people. God's not expecting perfection. In fact, when we talk about, oh, God's going to be so disappointed. You know, God is never disappointed. Disappointment comes when you have a false expectation of someone. You know, you're disappointed when you think that somebody's going to do something. You go to a movie and you say it's going to be great and then it's not great and then you walk out disappointed. Are you disappointed when you watch a movie that you thought was going to be horrible and it was horrible? You're not disappointed. You're like, well, it's as bad as I thought. And so, so here's the thing that happens. God, God already knows the past. He knows the present and he knows the future. So if God already knows, where's the room for Disappointment. Well, God already knows. Sometimes we get disappointed in ourselves because we think more of ourselves than we actually are. But the Bible says this in Psalm 103, that God pities us as a father pities his children because he remembers that we're just dust. The problem is we don't remember that. We don't remember that we're just dust, that we were created out of the dust of the earth and God breathed life into us. So we remember our Savior. That's one of the ways that we overcome him. And the second way is this, not just by remembering my Savior, by remembering my story. My story. The fact that Jesus has, that's why he says, the word of their testimony. That there's a testimony, there's something that they were going one way in life, and they encountered Jesus, and a change began to happen in their life, and then everything started changing. It's not that you're perfect, but you're making progress, and God is working in you. In Psalm 40, which is one of my favorite Psalms, he says this. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. And he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what God has done. And be amazed. You ever experience that in your life? People see what God has done in your life and are amazed. And they, then they will put their trust in the Lord. And number three, by remembering my strength. That's why he says, and they didn't love their lives unto death. You see, our strength is in God, not in ourselves. When I depend on me and make it about me, I am always going to be sorely disappointed. When you make it about you and your strength, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But when I trust God, that's where strength is found. In Psalm 20, the Bible says that some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You see, and God sometimes has to remind us of how little strength we have when we're kind of like getting pretty impressed with ourselves. In fact, I, now mind you, I, sometimes crazy stuff happens to me. And I am convinced that God lets crazy stuff happen to me because if they become illustrations for the messages that I give, And so whenever crazy stuff happens, I want you to know I partially blame all of you because I know like this happened because I'm teaching on this and God wants the illustrations to be fresh. And so I have all this crazy stuff that happens, you know, like I had to fly to Connecticut this week and I thought, God, I don't want any illustrations. I just want to go on the plane and get there and then go home. That's it. Nothing crazy, please. You know, and it's pretty much what happened. So I thought I was scot-free. And then I went to Publix last night. And you say like what what could happen at Publix? Shopping is a pleasure there, right? <laughs> I thought it was a pleasure. So here's what happens: is that Carrie had to pick up a prescription, so Carrie and I and Mia are there, and we Mia will not ride in the regular shopping cart. It has to be one of the car carts because she like you know she's like really getting into the movie Cars, and so she thinks she's Lightning McQueen when she's in the in the in the car, and so she's very excited about that. And so anyway, so we get to Publix, and the pharmacy is closed. And she says, well, all right, I'll just get it some other time. And I said, Carrie, you're going to walk out of here with your prescription. But, Bob, it's closed. And I said, give me five minutes. So I walk over, use my powers of persuasion. Five minutes later, I walk over. I walk back with the bag, with the prescription. And shes that's what I said. And, um, and I'm like, you know, and she, Carrie's amazed. She's like, how do you do it, you know? You know, just like all this, like, you know, you're awesome. And I'm like, I know. And, you know, it's this whole thing. And then, and I'm like, you know, and I, so I tell her, so I'm holding the thing. And I'm like, Harry, stick with me. Stick with me and I'll show you things that have never happened. You know, I'm giving this whole thing and I'm kind of hamming it up a little bit. I'll admit. And so all this is happening. And so I'm pushing the cart, telling her that I'm a guy that makes things happen. Just stick with me. Persuasion is my Kung Fu. You know what I mean? So, you know, some people know karate. I know Karazi. You know what I mean? So I just... That's a line. That's a James Brown line. Anyway, um, just for those keeping score at home. Uh, so, uh, so I'm pushing the cart and I'm telling her this. Well, about 20 seconds after I end up saying this, um, I don't know how this, this thing just came out of nowhere. All right. But I bump an end cap that has about 50 bottles of wine on it. You can ask my wife. I don't know if I've ever been scared in my whole that scared my whole life. I bump this cart. And, you know, those things that the, the car shopping carts are like impossible to drive. I mean, they're like the size of this stage, you know, so you're trying to like maneuver. And anyway, so I'm talking, my daughter's talking to me. Boom, I hit this thing and I'm watching like 50 bottles of wine go like this. And I'm and Carrie goes. And all I do, I just hold on to the cart tighter like that's going to help me. I hold on to the cart tighter and I'm like. The master is now speechless. And then Mia, my daughter, sees us, and she says, oh, no. You know, like, she knows there's trouble. And then, like, I'm watching this, and I'm so freaked out about this whole thing. I don't even think to walk over and try to steady some of these bottles. I see all these bottles kind of shaking, and all I think to do is to speak to the bottles. And I just say, bottles, please don't fall. I don't even drink. That's all I could think of to say. And so I'm like, please don't fall. I don't even drink. Well, sure enough. And I'm kind of like screaming like a little girl at that moment. And all that's happening. And then all of them, they just kind of calm down. And then it's like, and, and, and this is, you know, I'm not quite so much feeling like a master at that point. And um, and I'm like, OK, Gary, calm down. Mia, calm down. The whole thing's been handled. Well, I turn around. There's like 20 people watching this whole thing. And I'm like, uh, you know, hello? How's everybody doing? I've had that meal. You, want, you don't want to go there? Anyway, i just like, you know, I'm, I am so freaked out. And I'm like, listen, I need to leave right now. We've got to go. Let's just forget all the stuff in the cart and get out of here. And, um, and, and the thing is this, is that, you know, sometimes you realize that you're not the guy that has all the strength. Um, and, and, and the key to living a victorious Christian life To overcoming Satan, to overcoming evil, to overcoming temptation, to really living the way God wants us found in these three things. That remembering that, no, you're not perfect, but that God has saved you and he's working in you. To remember that your story, that your life is different than it used to be. And to remember that your strength is not focused in yourself, but it's focused. And you find it when when you're more and more allowing God to work in and through your life. Well, here's where the story comes to a close in Revelation 12. Look at verse 13. It says, Now the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she was nourished for a time, time, times and half a time. And that's Bible language, a Bible way of saying three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. And so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out from his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing as we begin to make our initial descent. Here's the deal. The Bible... It's about redemption. It's about relationships. And number three, it's about reliance. It's about relying on God more and more. Uh, my daughter is going to be two and a half soon. I have no idea where the time went. But, um, you know, I, I just she picks up this stuff. And I just can't figure out where in the world she gets it. Um, and I don't know if she gets it from me or from watching TV or from her mom or whatever. But we're out to dinner last week. And um, it, her food came and she was doing some drawing. And I said, OK, Mama, it's time to put away the crayons and now it's time to eat food. And she stops, and she says, Poppy, I'm busy. And I'm like, you're, you're busy? You play for a living. What are you talking about? You're busy. You know what I mean? And, 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 you know, one of the things that I'm like continually trying to teach my daughter is that it's OK to rely on mommy and poppy to, to, to help her. But she doesn't want to do that. So she wants to do something. One of her toys aren't doing what she wants it to do. And and I'll say, you know, I'll ask her, you want me to help you? No, I do all by myself. That's like her new phrase. I do all by myself. And so then, um, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm amazed at what she's able to do. I mean, you know, I, I have an iPhone. You know, I've had one like for a few years now. And here's the thing, like it took me like a week to figure out how to use this thing. And I'm still learning stuff. People show me like, oh, you know, there's this thing you can do. I'm like, when did they add that? I don't know, like when the phone came out. And I'm like, oh, all right. I just been making calls. You know, a little that I know. There's all this stuff else you could do. But here's what happens. My daughter, who's two, has learned all this stuff. You know, so my daughter knows how to grab the phone. She knows how to press the button on top. She knows that you've got to move the little, like, unlock thing. She does that already. And then she knows that if she hits the YouTube icon, and then if she knows, this is the part that she has trouble with sometimes. She doesn't know how to type Toy Story 2. That's like the one part she has having issue with. But um, anyway, so the other day, she grabs the phone. And she says, "Buffy, I watch movie on your phone. And I'm like, uh, okay. So she grabs the phone. She unlocks it. She hits the YouTube button. And, uh, and uh, Carrie and I are talking. Next thing you know, I hear like noise coming out of it. I turn, and it's like the first 10 minutes of Toy Story 2. And I'm like, how did you start learn how to use movies? on this thing. It took me like a week to figure out how to use, I, to, to use uh, YouTube on this phone, and she's figured it out in like 45 seconds, and she's two. And, and the thing that's crazy is that, um, so the only time that she feels like she actually needs me is when she, when she needs to type, because when she types, doesn't really make any sense, even though she sent me an email recently. Um, it's, she sent it to herself, like it ended up going to me, and um, she makes phone calls now. I mean, it's, she called a friend of mine the other day. Like, I don't even know, I don't think it was on purpose, but uh, the friend of my, my friend, uh, I get the phone, and I'm like, hello? He's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, uh, no, Mia just called me. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I, pick, I picked up the phone because it was you. And I said, hey, Bob. And uh, on the other line, she heard, I heard this little voice say, Bobby? And I said, no. And he says, no, is this Mia? And she says, yes. And she says, oh, and she says Bobby? And he says, no, this isn't Bobby. This is Bill. Do you, do you remember me? And she says, uh, Poppy? And she says, no. And she says, can you put Poppy on the phone? And then she hands me the much She says, phone. And so I hand uh, this whole thing. I hear this whole story. And I'm like, how in the world did she figure this out? And, and the thing is this, is that her, her big thing is that she has this trouble because she can do so much. Her, 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 her frustration sometimes is, is asking for help. And I want to tell you that sometimes we're so much like her in the sense that we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to ask for God's help, and we think that it really comes down to us relying on ourselves. I want to tell you something that the more and more that a person matures and grows in their faith, that it really comes down to one word is trust to the degree that I trust God is to the degree that my faith will grow. In Psalm 84, the Bible says this for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. This is, you want to underline that. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. You see, here's what, here's what I've realized. Is that a person who grows in their faith, a person who obeys God, they realize that the more that they trust God is because God's not going to withhold The good that he has for a person. You see, in this story, while Antichrist is now trying to threaten Israel, their trust in God is what preserves them. And in the same way, the thing that happens here is that when a person decides that they're going to take control, listen, here's what it really means. It means that I don't believe that God is going to do right by me. When we decide that, no, I'm not going to do it God's way, I'm going to regain and and, and take control. It's because we don't believe that God's going to do right by us. When a person says, you know, I I can't obey the scriptures. I can't obey the scriptures. Here's what they really mean. What they really mean is I think God's going to sell me out if I obey him. The reason that people get into relationships that they know that God would not have them be involved in is because here's what they, they ultimately believe. If I let this, past, this relationship pass me by, I don't believe that God's going to do right by me by bringing the perfect person for me. The reason that people don't honor God and do what the Bible says about their finances in every area of, of their financial world is because they ultimately don't believe that God is going to do right by them. The reason that people say, well, I can do church on Sunday, but Monday through Friday, church is church, but business is business. And I can't deal honestly because if I do, I really don't believe that God's going to do right by me. Listen, the more that I grow to the degree that I grow in my faith is to the degree that I trust God. The story of the Bible is this. It's a love story. It's a story of God who sees humanity that's walked away and that God goes so far and loves humanity so passionately that it doesn't matter how far we go. He's still in the rearview mirror. He's still we still can't shake him. It's a story of evil trying to over, overcome and triumph over us, but a Savior who comes into the world to defeat evil. It's a story of God teaching His people to trust Him and to walk with Him so that our relationship can grow to maturity. And I know I'm a couple minutes over, and I, I just want two minutes of your time, if I could. Because I, I just want to talk to you just conversely for a moment. It's been a crazy week. I mean, I think that people are genu- genuinely stunned at everything that's happened this week. In the entertainment world, I and mean, we saw the death of Ed McMahon. We saw the death of Farrah Fawcett. We saw the death of Michael Jackson. These, these iconic people in American culture. And one of the things that I think has happened is that people have begun to ask some questions that maybe they hadn't asked previously. They started asking questions that if that can happen to these people who seemingly had everything, does that mean that that's ultimately going to happen to me? People start asking questions about the, the, the questions that uh, can make us think about the very foundation of why we're here, why we exist, why we were created, what the meaning of all of this is. And, and the thing that um, I've been thinking about this week, and I was uh, last night, I, I just had, I had some trouble sleeping. And so uh, I grabbed my Bible and I started reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And I came through this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I want to read it to you because I think it has such application for what's happening right now. But it says this, it says, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in my role as a pastor, I've had this. And that is that you... I'll officiate someone's wedding in the morning and then drive across town because 30 minutes later I have to give the message at someone's funeral. And as a, it's, it's a very surreal experience that you go from the moment of someone's greatest joy to then go to the place of people that are weeping and experiencing the loss and sorrow, and some, I would say, even despair. And here's what I've noted is that while the first is probably a lot more fun to be at than the second, what's better for our soul and our spirit, according to what this text says and according to what I've experienced in my life, it's much better to go to the house of mourning than it is the house of feasting. Because in the house of feasting, we're having a good time, but, and, and it's important to do that, but we're not asking the most important questions of life. When we go to the house of mourning, And we have to say goodbye to someone. We start asking the questions that are most important. And we come to the realization that this also will be me someday. And it causes us to maybe make some decisions and to think some thoughts and to say some words that maybe we hadn't previously. You know, I don't know where all of us are in our relationship with God. And I don't know if maybe the events of this week have caused us to rethink some things and say, you know, maybe I'm not going to live forever in my current condition. But at, at the very core of who we are, the very essence of who we are is spirit. And some people have said that we're physical beings having a spiritual experience, and I believe that it's just the opposite. God created us spirit. We're spiritual people having a physical experience. Because the body that we have now is created for earth, but soon we're going to shed this body and go into eternity and have a body that's created for eternity. And see, the thing that's so important is the decisions that we make now, what we do now, will echo into eternity. And the decisions that we make, the people that we follow, who we put our trust in, all of that matters. Because the people who seemingly had it all, and people that seemingly had nothing. The ones that passed away this week that we didn't know their name, that we'll never know their name. The Bible tells us this, that it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. That we take our every person takes their last breath on planet Earth and then stands before God. And the question is, will we stand before God to have to give our own account of what happened and why we didn't and all of this, or will we stand before God and simply defer to our faith in Christ. And that Jesus has saved us. That Jesus has changed us. And that we're followers of His. That we've received forgiveness and grace for everything that we've done that's been wrong. And I know I've gone a little bit long this morning and I apologize. But I just feel so strongly that this is something that, that we need to make sure. And the last thing that I want is for you to have come to this place this morning. And you come to this place because of everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, and you say, you know, I came here looking for hope. Well, this is what the Bible calls Jesus. He calls Him our living hope because He died, yes, but He rose again and He's alive. And He offers you and I real and lasting life. And here's what it means. That we can come to Him and we can open our heart and we can pray a prayer that sounds something like this. It says, Jesus, forgive me of everything I've done wrong. And I'm just asking you, I'm asking Jesus to come into my life, to change my life. Do you know that a prayer prayed like that? Prayed in sincerity. God will hear, God will answer, and God will act. That he can begin the work of changing your life, changing your eternal destination, starting right now. He can do that. If we're serious. If we're ready to make that decision. If we're willing to call to him. Because it's time, as the scripture that I read you, that we take this to heart. Let's pray together. And Lord, we do want to thank you. We thank you for the fact that you sent your son into the world. That we don't have to spend an eternity without you, but instead you offer us forgiveness. You offer us grace. You offer us your love. And Lord, I pray that you, Lord, would work in us. I pray for those that are making that decision this morning to follow you. that are just saying, Jesus, I'm opening my heart and I'm inviting you in and I'm asking that you forgive me. And God, I want you to change my life. Lord, those that are making that decision, I pray that you would make yourself ever so real to them. God, in that story that we heard John and Tanya tell, God, may the chains really be loosened in our lives as well as we call out to you and experience your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.